Well, welcome to the I'm All Over the Place podcast. I'm Dara Star Tucker, and I am really happy to be with you today. I am continuing to bring you some of the content that I am producing for KJLH in LA. I hope you enjoyed the episode on black conservatism and racism laundering last week. If you did, please let me know online, Dara Tucker B on Instagram, Dara Star Tucker, Dara with one R and star with two everywhere else on all the other platforms. I want to remind you that the breakdown merchandise is now available. Visit DaraStarTucker.com to pick up breakdown merchandise. You are going to be hearing these episodes consistently every Monday morning at 5 a.m. Make us a part of your schedule. Since I am now doing a radio show for KJLH, I can now share these episodes with you and we can be super, super consistent, which is really exciting for me. Now I get to share consistent content with you and we get to have these conversations in our own time. So please join me on the Instagram page, on the TikTok page, wherever you choose to connect with the podcast. We will be putting up a visual version on YouTube. There will probably not be versions of me actually voicing the show, but there will be a version that you can access on YouTube if you still prefer to listen to it in that way. So we want to make it as easy as possible for you to interact with this show. If you are enjoying the new format, please let me know and we will continue this. Just a heads up, I will be in Nashville, Tennessee doing a show on Nancy Wilson's life on the 17th of March. And this is a series that the Nashville Jazz Workshop puts out called Jazz on the Move. So if you're going to be in the Nashville area around mid-March, I look forward to seeing you for Jazz on the Move. We're also working on solidifying details for something in the Fayetteville, Arkansas area for early March. So stay tuned for details on that. So without further ado, I'm going to present to you this episode on the Black community's support of the Democratic Party. Is that something that we can justify going forward? Some very important questions we're having to answer in this election season. So I hope you enjoy this topic. Give the show a rating if you're able to in iTunes or on whatever podcasting platform that you use if you are enjoying it. And look for us next Monday morning at 5 a.m. on I'm All Over the Place. Have a good one. Hi there, folks. I'm Dara Star Tucker, and this is The Breakdown. So glad to be back with you today. I hope you enjoyed our inaugural episode. I am really excited about the road that we are going to travel together. I'm hearing lots of really good feedback from what we talked about last week, and I'm really, really, really excited about getting into a brand new topic this week. I know there's going to be a lot of discussion, a lot of feedback on this one. This is not an easy subject to talk about, you guys, but I think that this is going to be one of the more pressing topics that we are going to be facing, particularly in the upcoming year, the election year that we have coming up in 2024. So I'm excited to get into this. Remember that you can interact with me on KJLH's Instagram page. You can find them at Radio Free KJLH. Please follow the station online and I look forward to continuing the discussion that we are about to have with you on Instagram. Let's head on over there after this talk is over. And if you're looking to find me on Instagram, you can find me at Dara Tucker B, D-A-R-A-T-U-C-K-E-R and the letter B. Everywhere else, I'm Dara Star Tucker. That's Dara with one R and star with two. I look forward to connecting with you online. Now, what do we have on the docket for today? Well, there's a whole lot of conversation right now happening around the issue of Israel and Gaza, this terrible conflict that is happening between Israel and Gaza. 
and a lot of different opinions flying around on social media. I've really done my best not to be the one weighing in and talking over Israeli or Palestinian voices. I'm doing my best at this time just to listen and to learn, just like we expect them to do when issues around racial discrimination and black liberation and freedom are being discussed. We don't want nobody talking over us. I'm doing my best not to talk over them. So what I want to talk about today is how this issue impacts us in the United States. As we know, I think a lot of black folks, particularly since the nation of Islam became such a powerful force within the black community, really in the late 60s, mid to late 60s and forward, we have found a lot of familiarity and similarity between our struggle and the struggle of the Palestinian people. And I got in a lot of trouble for saying that with a video I did early this year on black and Jewish relations, that that period in the 1960s when the black nationalist movement started to come around and a lot of folks started to latch on to militants, that is when the struggle of the Palestinian people started to become foremost on a lot of black folks' minds. And a lot of that dynamic, that cooperation that had existed historically, really artistically, between black and Jewish people, a lot of that started to shift right around the 1960s and the 70s when black folks started to wake up to what was happening in Palestine. So now we are seeing a renewed focus on what is happening in Palestine. And of course, we all know uh, what happened to spark this latest wave of violence and this onslaught that is happening in the Gaza Strip. It's breaking all of our hearts. And we're just kind of all observing in, in horror and wondering what our role is to play, wondering exactly what we can do to affect change and to affect policy as it relates to the people of that region. I think anyone with half a heart, obviously, when we see innocent civilians who are suffering because of the political policies of their their nations or the lands in which they live, our hearts are breaking for them. And we feel an affinity with any marginalized group of people. We feel an affinity with them. And that's the resounding message that I'm getting on social media. I have a very active TikTok and a very active Instagram. And I don't even have to allude to this issue. And people want to talk about it. But like I said, I have refrained from centering my voice in that conversation because I don't feel that my voice, I've, I've done my best to educate myself about this topic and I will continue to do so. But as we know, the, some of these issues go back a long, long, long time. And there have been efforts by various presidents in the U.S. to try to broker peace in that region. It has fallen apart every single time. And we also know that the United States itself has been complicit in furthering the war machine in that region, in upholding a lot of the policies that have allowed the injustices that are going on in that region to continue going on. So we see that as black people. We are calling that out as black people. And we feel an allyship with the Palestinian people. So as I've taken this issue in from a variety of viewpoints, and as I said, listening to Palestinian voices, listening to Jewish voices who may or may not even line up with what Israel as a nation is doing, another conversation has started to evolve. And this evolves differently depending on what platform you're on or if you're listening to a particular news source. This conversation feels different depending on who's having it. But the conversation that is opening up right now, particularly on TikTok, where I spend a lot of time, is considering what we know about the history of the Palestinian and the Israeli people in that region and the position that the United States government has taken under the direction of Joe Biden with regard to everything that is going on right now. Where do we stand in terms of our support for the Democratic Party going forward? 
These are the questions that we, particularly as black folks, as left-leaning folks, as progressive people, these are the kinds of questions that we are starting to ask ourselves right now. And no, it is not too soon to start asking these types of questions. Obviously, we know where this presidential election is going. We know who's about to be at the top of each ballot. Though neither party has nominated an official candidate, we know who the nominees are going to be. We know what the choices are going to be going forward. We've got Biden on one side and we've got the other guy on the other side. We're just going to leave it like that. So where does that leave us? Where does that leave us? If we stand for the liberation and the protection of the Palestinian people, which many of us are, are lining up on that side of things and are having a very, very difficult time supporting the policies that are being enacted right now, where does that leave us? Where do we stand? I did what I would call kind of a hot take video on TikTok about this very topic. Just stepping back after taking in a lot of the discourse that has been happening on so-called leftist TikTok, people who are more progressively minded, they know where they stand on this issue. A lot of young folks, a lot of Gen Z, a lot of millennials on TikTok who are absolutely fed up and who have gotten to the place where they say they just cannot support what is going on. And I get it. I get it. I I can't even argue with them. I can't argue with them. But also being someone who is a little bit more seasoned uh, in this political game and who's been through a few more election cycles and who has seen things shift quite a bit over my lifetime. I had some thoughts that I wanted to offer in relation to this conversation about political support, particularly of the Democratic Party and where we as progressives, if you lean that way, where you stand, considering everything we know about how this whole issue in the Middle East is progressing. So I'm going to play that for you right now and I will be back and we're going to talk about it. Because of the stance that the Biden administration is taking on the situation that's happening right now in the Gaza Strip. There's a whole renewed conversation that's taking place around, can we support this administration when it comes time to cast our ballots? And it's a really interesting conversation because I can understand both sides of this argument perfectly well. No, you may not get everything you want out of the administration, but the thing that you are allowing to happen if you do not vote for a democratic administration is going to be so much worse than what would happen if you just allow the Democrats to do what they do. And the other side of the argument says, well, they're not doing what I want them to do right now anyway, so why should I do anything that operates in support of them? My conscience will not allow me to support them. And the crazy thing is that you can perfectly well agree with both of those arguments. You're not doing enough. I cannot support your actions in this case. And also, if I choose to sit it out and not support you in the next election, we don't know, we do know what we have as an alternative. And the alternative is not an acceptable one. The interesting thing is how well conservatives understand that position right there in the middle. And you can see this being essentially played out in front of our eyes with the Speaker of the House election and how difficult it was for them to find any kind of consensus around who they were going to put in there. There are so many disparate factions within the Republican Party. There always have been, but they're even more extreme now. But 
fundamentally, they understand something that it seems like left-leaning people, progressives, Democrats or whatever, simply do not understand. And that is that you can have a coalition of completely warring factions that can come together under one umbrella and can say, we represent this side of things. We do not agree with each other. There is a whole lot that you're doing that I don't agree with, and we probably would not get along even in the conversation, but we're gonna organize ourselves under this umbrella and we're going to push our agenda forward. And as much of a circus as it is on the right, oftentimes, and as much as we like to kind of snicker at how just insane it is over there, somehow they manage through all of the chaos to push their agenda forward in spite of it all. You got non-college educated, kind of small town and rural white folks. You got rich fat cats just trying to protect their bank account. You have evangelical Christians who are all about the moral agenda. You have conspiracy theorists who are completely off the rails in the QAnon extreme MAGA world. You have immigrants who have fled communist regimes and who believe in this idealized version of the American dream. A lot of those people have absolutely nothing in common with each other, but when it comes down to it, they're gonna be unified. They are going to be unified when it comes down to it, because they always have been. Does the fact that it's harder to make that argument for this functional unity or dysfunctional unity under that political umbrella just for expediency, does the fact that it's harder to make that argument on the left, does that mean that the left is fundamentally more ethical? Does that mean that folks on the left are more likely to stand behind their values, even if it means political ruin, even if we slide off into neo-fascism, but we did it ethically? And I've seen enough and have studied enough history to know that's not just catastrophizing. It's not just hyperbole. It's real. That's the reality. But I don't know. Our ethics, you know, left-leaning people, are our ethics the, the undoing of us? All right. Are our ethics the undoing of us? Those of us who are left-leaning, and that's not even assuming that everybody who's listening is left-leaning. It's just just kind of a question, food for thought. Will the ethics, that ethical code that a lot of folks on the left seem to have, will that be our undoing? And what does it even mean to be on the left? Well, a big part of what it means to be on the left is to fight for marginalized groups. That's one of the reasons, one of the big reasons that a lot of us became left-leaning in the first place. So if that is our call to action in our heart of hearts, that's what we truly and deeply believe in. Standing up for the marginalized, for the victimized, for those who have been pushed to the outer edges of society and making sure that they have a voice, making sure that they have a place. If we're not going to do it, who is? Who will? So when it comes time to stand up for what you believe in, in a case like this, where everything's on the line, how do you vote? How do we vote? Do we stick it to the Democrats and say, because you are upholding something that more and more of us are starting to recognize is extremely problematic, can I support you? Can Black people specifically support the Democratic Party going forward? What is our responsibility right now? It shouldn't be surprising that a lot of young folks, a lot of Gen Z, as we call them, a lot of millennials are starting to fall down on the side of, no, I cannot support this. I cannot support you. But I speak from the position of a black woman. And my own point of view is, look what the Republicans are doing. Look what they're doing. Look how many disparate factions are able to come together under one umbrella and make things happen. 
And we can't deny that they're good at it. We can't deny that they are good at it. I had someone who clapped back to me under this video and said, well, this is a clear indication that you don't understand anything about politics because the only reason that Republicans are united is because they get everything that they want. They already have everything they want. And so I did a response video to that. I'm going to play that for you and we're going to talk about it. I know something about Republicans. If you heard my episode last week, then you know that to be true. But I'm going to play my response to her and then we're going to come back and we're going to discuss that. This person says that I have no idea what is going on policy wise because I stated that Republicans are united regardless of their differences. That means that I don't know what's going on. I try not to get too irritated about assumptions that people make about me, people who do not know me. But there are certain things that get my goad and this is one of them. What a lot of people may not know about me because of what I talk about online and just the fact that I'm black, a lot of the assumptions people make about me is that I may not know a whole lot about what's going on with conservatives or evangelicals and Christians. And that was my world. That was the world that I was raised up in, steeped in it, born and bred. Right wing evangelical Christianity was how I was raised. I know all about them. So I'm going to tell you what they want. They have wanted prayer put back in schools since 1962. That is when they lost the ability to pray in school unabated. And they have been complaining about this at pretty much every church service that I attended from my childhood on forward. They've been complaining about it since 1962. They've been waiting for a long time for this to change. And they're not going to stop until it does. So in this case, they're not already getting what they want. They're playing the long game. They're still pushing for it. Do you know how long they pushed for an end to Roe v. Wade? For 50 years, 50 years. That happened in 1973. And they finally organized for decades until they got what they want. This isn't a case of them already having what they want and therefore they're forming a coalition because the world is just sunshine and flowers for them. No, they're absolutely freaking out. In their eyes, the world is burning and they're just trying to figure it out. They've been mad since 1968 when the Supreme Court decided that they could no longer ban the teaching of evolution in schools. Does that sound like they're getting what they want? I can give you example after example of why they see themselves as being fundamentally victimized. I can give you many more examples of why they see their way of life as being under threat. You may perceive them as being all powerful. They're getting what they want and that's why they're able to organize. They don't see it that way, but they keep fighting because they know that things can change if you continue to organize decade after decade after decade. Oh, they whine and they complain just like we do, but they strategize behind the scenes. Don't freaking tell me what I know about policy and why Republicans are good at organizing versus Democrats. You perceive them in a particular way has nothing to do with how they perceive themselves. The whole reason for the video I made, they can organize themselves around someone like Trump, who is the complete antithesis of what Christian evangelicals are supposed to stand for. But they figured out that it was politically expedient for them to put him in office, and they did. So you can tell yourself whatever you want to about what you think I know, but I know Republicans. Those were my people most of my life. And you have to give them credit because they are playing the long game. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Join us each week on the Well Beyond Medicine podcast as we explore the 80% of child health impacts that occur outside the doctor's office. Listen and subscribe at NemoursWellBeyond.org 
where you'll hear pediatric experts, researchers, and policymakers from around the world discussing ways they are revolutionizing children's health. I'm your host, Carol Vassar. Let's go. Republicans are playing the long game. And that's what I want to talk about in this last segment. Republicans are playing the long game. So all this spouting off and all this shouting about it doesn't matter if you vote, everything's all messed up anyway, and they're not going to change anything. Well, first of all, it isn't true. I think it just feels good to say that because it supports a certain indifference and we don't really have to invest ourselves in change. We don't really have to invest ourselves in what the issues really are and understand exactly how change comes. It's a very easy thing to say that the Republican and the Democratic Party are two wings of the same bird. It makes everyone feel really smart when they say stuff like that. And to some degree, you can understand why people may have that perception, but it really doesn't take any more than scratching just a little bit below the surface to understand that that is completely false. It is 100% false. And I'm no shield for the Democratic Party. I am not being paid by the Democratic Party to tell you jack squat. So you do what you want to vote how you want to. I'm not representing anybody or anything other than common sense. But I think a person reveals themselves to be quite politically unsophisticated when they take on this mindset of cynicism and being dismissive about the differences between these two parties. And I'm not gonna go deeply into what the differences between those two parties are. Not today, This that ain't what this show is about, but it really doesn't take a whole lot of study. So if that is your perception that the parties are the same, when I hear someone talking that way, that is my first indication that this person really does not have a clue what is going on politically, not on any deep level at all. Many of us may not realize just how long certain factions, certain political action groups and wealthy donors have been organizing behind the scenes to push forward their political agenda, particularly on the right. This is something that has been happening really since our country's inception, but it's something that really started to take on a lot of momentum right around the middle of the 20th century, right around the 1950s, the John Birch Society. If you don't know what the John Birch Society is, start to look into that. And we've got more recent groups like the Heritage Foundation and now groups like Moms for Liberty. And there are, there are many wealthy, wealthy people entrenched within the Republican Party that understand they're not going to get everything they want with this election, maybe not with the next election. Some of them are targeting 2052. Let's figure out what we can make happen in 2052. And they know all it takes is just being patient enough. And if they don't live to see it, they're going to hand the baton on to the next generation. Mitch McConnell right now has trained up Daniel Cameron, who was the one that put the blockades in front of the Breonna Taylor case. He is a pupil and a mentee of Mitch McConnell because Mitch McConnell, as we've all seen, is on his way out. He's passing the baton on to this young black conservative man. And this dude's going to carry the mantle on forward. Mitch knows it doesn't end with him. And if you're politically smart, you know it doesn't end with you. There's a really popular phrase that a lot of folks like to repeat and like to post on their socials. I am my ancestor's wildest dreams. And what an exciting thought that is. What an exciting thing that is to even conceive of. I am my ancestor's 
wildest dreams. What does that mean to us? What does that really mean? Does that mean we get to have a cush life and enjoy all of the benefits that were laid out because of the sacrifices that our ancestors made and that we don't have to think about the future? What about our descendants? Are they going to be our wildest dreams? And what are we doing in the here and now to ensure that the dreams that we are dreaming for them can become a reality? Are we thinking about the stepping stones and the building blocks and the groundwork that we need to lay for the next generation? Or are we only thinking about how the issues that we face impact us in the here and now? Frankly, If some of us lived during the time that our ancestors lived, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, our great-great-grandparents, if some of us lived during that time and carried the philosophies that we carry now, which is, if I don't see the change that I want to see in an election cycle or two, well, I'm sitting it out. I'm not voting for this mess. You can't, I'm not supporting that. If most of us lived back then and carry the philosophy that we carry now, we would still be on the plantation. We do not have the gumption and the guts and the foresight and the fortitude that our ancestors had to be able to endure, to push through, to create change incrementally, step by step, precept upon precept until they were free. Do we have what it takes to lay the groundwork for the generations that come after us? Because that's really what's at stake. There's so many of us that want to wave that white flag or be conscientious objectors, sit it out, not participate in liberation movements, not figure out how we can plug into the existing structure to help bring about change. We don't want to think about all the nuts and bolts of it. We just want to go blow something up. We just want to go light something on fire. We just want to shut the whole thing down. We want to burn the whole thing down. And we want to be able to snap our fingers and everything's different because we yelled and screamed about it. Or we attended a protest. Or maybe we just did a few Instagram posts. And why isn't everything different? It hasn't changed. America's still the same. Ain't nothing going to change. What does it even matter? They're all the same, Republicans and Democrats. See how smart I am. See how cynical I am. See how above it all I am. My question to you is, do your children, do your grandchildren, do your great-grandchildren deserve more than your cynicism, than your short-sightedness? Because this ain't all about you. This is not all about us. This is way bigger than 2023, than 2024. We have to think in terms of the long game. We have no choice. We have never had a choice as a people but to play the long game. That's the only way to do things in this country or any other place for that matter. You're not going to find any political framework that works any differently than that. Change always comes so much more slowly than what you want it to. That does not mean that we should not be steadfast. That does not mean that we should not be working within the system to make things better than they were five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Just because change happens more slowly than what you want it to does not give any of us an excuse to sit down and say, it does not matter what I do in this moment. It matters what we all do in this moment. And I ain't telling you how to vote, but I am telling you that your vote matters. And I am telling you that the folks who could care less about your liberation true liberation, they're not getting weary. They're not getting tired. They're not throwing in the towel. They're not waving the white flag. They're not doing any of that. They are playing the long game and we need to be playing it too. I'm Dara Star Tucker, y'all. 
Meet me at the KJLH Instagram page, Radio Free KJLH. Meet me over there. We're going to continue to talk about this very important issue. And if you're looking for me online, I'm everywhere. I'm on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, threads, whatever you got. I'm everywhere under Dara Star Tucker. Dara with one R, star with two, except on Instagram where I'm Dara Tucker B. We are going to continue to talk about the issues that matter. So the conversation does not stop here. Meet me online. I'm looking forward to going even deeper with you next week. So until then, let's learn to shout.